Welcome. Thank you guys for being here. You can take a seat. We're getting right into it today. Right after it, you're going to get a little handout here in a second from our amazing usher team. Give it up for them. I wish you thought more highly of them. It's, I know it's 9 a.m., but these people are incredible. They got here early, okay? Welcome. Uh, we're ending this relationship series today with a bit of a curveball, and I'll explain why I say that, but I want to talk about today the most dysfunctional relationship in your life. And we've talked about relationships for the past couple of weeks. Wherever you find yourself on the relationship spectrum, whether you are single, dating, engaged, married, divorced, wherever you're at, this will apply to you. Statistically, there may be a few outliers in the room, but this is the most dysfunctional relationship in your life. It is the attention-demanding, destructive, needy relationship causing issues in your physical life, mental health, emotional, spiritual lives. And whenever, if anybody, anybody been in a dysfunctional relationship, don't raise your hand if you're in one right now, but especially if you're sitting next to them. When you get to the end of a dysfunctional relationship, you're kind of like, I wish somebody had warned me. I wish somebody had told me, right? Well, after today, because I'm warning you about this today, you will not be able to say, I wish somebody would have told me. You're only gonna be able to say, I wish I would have listened. If this is wreaking havoc in your life, of course, I'm talking about your relationship with the sleek little device in your purse or your pocket that has already probably distracted you from this service. Your relationship with your phone. Now, most of you don't know this, but you can actually turn these things off. And I'm gonna challenge you to do that right now for the rest of this service with me, okay? I'm doing it. I know, if you're a parent and you have kids in Kids Rock, you don't have to do this. Watch this. Ugh. There it is. Turn your phones off. Maybe you're waiting for an emergency call. If that's you, you don't have to do this. I'll never know. It doesn't matter if I know. But I'm challenging you to turn your phone off right now. I see people actually doing it. This is historical that this is happening right now. I'm challenging you to engage with a message. Undivided attention, and you're gonna have to battle for this because the human attention span has dropped from 12 to eight seconds in the past two decades thanks to these. For reference, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Just let that sink in. That's real. I've got no slides, no TV, no screens for you. I just wanna have a conversation today. Paper being passed out to you, maybe a pen if you have one, grab a journal. Some people, paper and pens, no screens. And you can contemplate the questions on those cards that got to you after this. You can use them to take notes right now. If you've never used a pen before because you're under the age of 14, uh, your parents can show you how to do that. I've got the Bible we'll draw from and some books. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Troy Ranke. I think that's how you say his last name. The TechWise Family, Andy Crouch. And the next one on my list, Competing Spectacles, also by Troy Ranke, and I recommend all of them. And then, of course, the Bible, written by how many authors, Ryan? I think it's 39 or 40, 66 books. Okay, Book of Hebrews, right. Got you. Thanks so much. As with any of these four books, any book I recommend to you from the stage, I don't agree with 100% of everything in it, 
There's some ways theologically I might break something down differently than one of these authors, but these are a wealth of knowledge and conversation starting uh, when it comes to our relationships with our phone, the most dysfunctional relationship in your life. So today's gonna be convicting. This may feel like this is not emotional to talk about our phones, but I think you'll find that it might get there. And it's important for you to know, people don't like being convicted. We hate it, right? It's important for you to know that as your pastors, we care much more about the health of your soul and your relationship with God than your opinion of us. And that's why over the past couple weeks especially, we'll get in your face and we'll convict and we'll talk about things that are really causing problems. And I think that this is one of those. I really genuinely believe that we need to be warned about the effects of these things on our relationships and I'll get a little fired up today, and I, it seems like all the intensity in my life and my seriousness all comes out just when I'm on stage. And I promise I'm not mad at you. I love you, I'm part of this problem. But what gets me fired up are the things that I believe are robbing life from you. And this is one of those things. But before we get too deep into that, let's just do a recap of how we got here. January 9th, 2007, Steve Jobs introduced this to the world. And that summer, June 27th, Everybody could get their hands on one. Right around this time, Facebook started allowing anybody and everybody onto the platform. There was a time where you had to have a college email address. Anybody in that group with me? I remember getting my college email address and being like, it's Facebook time. But right around then, right when I was graduating high school, they started to let everybody on, which ruined it because my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation could now see us all partying, <laughs> but more so argue with people they went to high school with about politics. And so much has changed. At the same time, a little microblogging site became its own platform called Twitter. The cloud, the app store, it was all upon us. And these things were awe-inspiring. It was like my calendar, my ability to make calls and text and email and navigate somewhere. I can connect with people from childhood, get to the, or people on the other side of the world. It's all right here in my pocket. This is incredible. Amazing. Here's a, a crazy fact for you. The processing speed when you're using a Maps app, what's happening within your phone, that processing speed is 30,000 times the processing speed that was on the computer on board the Apollo 11 that got people onto the moon. And you have that in your pocket. It's so cool. It's so incredible. The iPhone has been named the most influential gadget of all time and more smartphones competition have come out and they've gotten bigger and better and then smaller and better and then bigger and better and then smaller and better. And the world all of a sudden had these amazing tools in our hands. But what I fear is that for most of us, these are not tools, they are traps at this point. Now kids 14 and under do not, they don't remember a time when parents weren't always connected to phones. They have no recollection of a life where we're not tethered to technology. We jumped in with 100% of our brains in both feet into something that we didn't fully understand. And much like Frankenstein, amazingly brilliant people created something that they didn't fully understand. And now we check our smartphones about every four minutes. For some of you, you're like, that's an eternity. We physically touch our phones over 2,600 times a day. Stats are now showing average phone use over five hours a day. By the end of your life, you will have spent nine years of your life on your phone. Our attention spans are so depleted that our thought life is now just a series of fragments. 
Studies show that your problem-solving skills and working memory is lowered simply by being in the same room as your smartphone. We live in a society with infinite information and very little wisdom. And most of us don't want to be honest, but we are addicted to these things, like addicts. I'm not saying that as like a funny term, like we are really addicted. A psychologist named Tony Schwartz says addiction is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive, it ultimately interferes with everyday life. By that definition, nearly everyone I know is addicted in some measure to the internet. When it comes to addiction to drug use, the three C's of addiction are loss of control over the amount and frequency of use, craving and compulsive using, continued use in the face of adverse consequences. Has anybody reached for their phone already? Because you're craving those dopamine hits of notifications? Addiction comes with obsessive thoughts and actions, disregard of har harm caused, denial of addiction, hiding it. Ever avoided this conversation? Do you guys like me feel phantom vibrations in your pocket? Somebody's trying to get a hold of me right now and then you look and nobody is. It's kind of a bummer. <laughs> Very humbling moment. Have you sworn off your phone and certain apps only to find yourself back on them, which is called a relapse? Here's, here's what happens. When you're alone or bored, do you jump on your phone, right? I'm at a red light, Instagram. I'm waiting for my friend to meet up with me, emails. I'm waiting in line at HEB, I'll text some people. I'm sitting on the toilet, ESPN app. I don't have plans, I don't have anything to do. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, right? But maybe deeper, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm bored, I'm hurt, on my phone. I'm in an amazing moment, gotta get my phone out because it didn't happen if I don't post it. We are constantly tethered to these things. Do you feel anxious, upset, short-tempered when you can't get to your phone? Anybody feeling that right now? You're not mad at me. You're mad because you have nomophobia. That is a real term. The fear of going without your phone. The world of psychology has had to develop a whole new vocabulary around this issue. And what is happening to us as a result of our addictions? Anxiety on the rise, depression on the rise, both of those trends directly tied to smartphone addiction. Sleep deficits and insomnia, relationship struggles, poor academic or work performance, financial problems, irritability, anger, defensiveness, loss of interest in activities and people, confusion, inactivity, obesity, eye issues, headaches, carpal tunnel, hypertension, shallow breathing patterns. I could keep going. The reality is that we care more about our phones being charged than ourselves. That's real. It's real for me. And here's what's terrifying about this. People are talking about this, and based on the progression of how things are going, almost none of you will change anything about your relationship with your phone after this message. That's what we're doing. We're all kind of just in denial and avoidance about this relationship. And it may seem non-spiritual to you, but I am terrified about what this is doing to our relationships with God and with each other. And we've been warned, and we're being warned. Listen to this. In his classic, Brave New World, published in 1932, Aldous Huxley wrote of a dystopian state fueled by man's infinite appetite for distractions. He envisioned a future dystopia not of dictatorship, but of distraction of sex, entertainment, and busyness tearing apart the fabric of society. 
He wrote about a culture with so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism, where truth was drowned in a sea of irrelevance. If only he knew, right? In 1942, C.S. Lewis published The Screwtape Letters, an eerie novel where a demon coaches another demon on how to bring down a man, and the strategy he uses is called the nothing strategy. It's described as strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that a man is only half aware of them. When I read that, that word flickering, terrifying, haunting. It's not the enemy pulling some giant scary stunt on us. He's just lulling us into sleep and a life of meaningless fragmentation and distraction. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And our minds are so busy because of these things. The apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians said, for we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the reality for us is our lives are now centered on our eyes being fixed as on what is seen on a screen. And there's this guy, Tristan Harris. He's like one of the few parents in a group, a society of kids with our hands in cookie jars being like, that stuff's gonna kill you in the end. Please listen to me. He was an insider at Google. He's behind the Social Dilemma documentary that you saw or avoided. He's behind the Center for Humane Technology, but really our responses to that documentary have indicated why things are only getting worse. That was like the go-to small talk when it came out, like, so have you seen The Social Dilemma? And some people I talked to immediately were like, well, it was biased, and you know, I don't really agree with this, this, and this, and that's called blame shifting when you have an addiction. Some people were really honest and were like, I'm not watching that. I don't wanna know. It's like when that dessert is just too good that you'd never ask for the ingredients because you know it's not good for you. I'm not watching that. And then a lot of us watched it and were like, oh gosh. I remember watching with my brother-in-law and we were just sitting there kind of looking at our phones after like, oh, stay away from me, right? And three days later, we were right back into our addictions. And that's what we do. That's what we're doing. And so maybe you don't see it as an addiction, but I would guess that this is having negative effects in your relationships with God and with people. And we can justify it and say, well, it's a phone. It's neutral, right? But I wouldn't tell a room full of alcoholics that alcohol is neutral because it's not for them. And so for a room full of phone addicts and a society full of them, I can't say that this is neutral for you. And I'm part of this, hear me, I'm part of this. I'm not on some high horse, okay? What we're doing is it's kind of like, see all these Silicon Valley guys, Steve Jobs even shielded his own kids from some of the stuff that Apple was putting out. You may not know that. A lot of these people are now saying, we didn't fully understand Frankenstein. But for the rest of us in the world, it's kind of like we go to the doctor's office and the doctor comes in with somebody from the pharmaceutical company and they say, hey, here's what we're prescribing for your kid. And by the way, we would never let our kids take this. Good luck. And we're like, sweet, give me some of that too. That's how we're treating this. And I have done that myself. And I don't think we're talking about this a lot, especially in church, because I don't think anyone has a foot to stand on, right? Pastors feel like hypocrites. I feel like a hypocrite to call you out on something that I am also struggling with. But today is the start of a conversation. And, and there used to be a time when parents could be the ones to say, stay off your electronics, get outside. But now parents are more addicted to their phones than their kids are. And so nobody feels like they have authority to say something about this, but we have to talk about it. 
And I'll tell you a little bit personally about my journey before we dive into a couple questions. I have an iPhone, obviously. I waste a ton of time on it. I, I got off social media personally last August. And that's, again, I'm not like up here today because a couple months ago I got off social media, I promise you. The, the reason I got off social media personally was not noble. It was August, which meant fantasy football season was about to start. And I was allowing myself one vice on my phone and I had to wear it out and I said, I'd rather get the dopamine hits of Derrick Henry scoring me touchdowns than somebody commenting on a picture of my dog. So that was my choice. I'm too old for a TikTok. I don't have one. And if you're older than me, you also are too old for a TikTok. <laughs> I still have my Facebook page because it's the only way to get to Red Rocks Austin's Facebook page. But like most millennials, I don't use Facebook. But like I said, it wasn't a noble reason to get off of social media personally. And we're talking bigger than just social media. That's just one of the center parts of this conversation about our phones. But since I've been off of social media personally, it's kind of given me a, a sober look to ask myself some questions, to ask some questions about us as believers and as a church. And there's been this picture in the back of my mind, and it's what keeps fueling me and making me feel convicted. I envisioned this this one day, and I can't get it out of my head that years from now, a couple years from now, I walk into my home, and I'm frantically looking for my phone, right? Because that's what we do when we can't find our phones. Nomophobia, there's a word for it now. We freak out. And I end up finding it in the corner of my bedroom. And the screen is shattered and the whole thing's been destroyed. Can't turn it on. And in that moment, I realized that my son has done this. Because he is so tired of thinking that this is what his dad looks like. He is so tired of his life being lived through the lenses on this thing. He is so tired of having addiction in his home. He is so tired of having to compete for his dad's attention and his dad, without words, telling him every day, hey, yeah, you're, you're important, but these things are, there's too many other things that are more important than you. So he had to become the parent and take matters into his own hands. His own hands. And I can't get that out of my head. It's haunting me. It haunts me when he's pulling at me to go play and I'm on my phone. It haunts me when I miss moments of his life because I'm on my phone. And it haunts me because ultimately I think that this is a picture of what this is doing to a lot of our relationships with God and each other. Troy Ranke, who wrote some of these books, said, we are always busy but always distracted, diabolically lured away from what is truly essential and truly gratifying. Led by our unchecked digital appetites, we manage to transgress both commands that promise to bring focus to our lives. We fail to enjoy God, we fail to love our neighbor. And those are the two questions I wanna ask you. What problems is this causing in your relationship with God? What problems is this causing in your relationships with people? Because Jesus said, everything in this life could be summed up by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And these things for so many of us are traps that are hindering us. Now, so there's gonna be balancing statements today too, right? Because technology is actually a God-given mandate and invitation. God invites mankind into working with him, reorder the raw materials of this world and create and innovate and develop and build. But as sin enters into the picture, we see our fallen propensity to worship our progress, our created things, ourselves. The Tower of Babel is an easy early example, right? Like somehow, way back when, these people build this little skyscraper, which is impressive. But they worship it. It's worshiping their progress. It's this fantasy of human autonomy, of not needing God. 
Troy, my boy Troy says, unhitched from fear and obedience to God, technology quickly becomes a pawn in human power plays. The things, the amazing things we can do that God has given us the ability to do, whether it's a tower or an iPhone, it should have our wonder, but not our worship. We should see these things and think, wow, and wonder at them like, this is amazing that God has given us the ability to do something like this and put tools in our hand, but not to worship it. And there are amazing tools. Some of you are here today because of a text or an Instagram post or a YouTube sermon or a song on Spotify, tools, amazing tools for worship, but for most of us, these are traps for distraction. The Bible is accessible all over the world in a way it never has been before, which is a tool, but for most of us, these are just traps of distraction. And what we do, and this has been the battle of, of all of mankind, is we start to worship those created things, and this is called idolatry. And I know that's a very Old Testament, churchy-sounding word, but we're doing it constantly. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Idolatry by definition is the vain attempt to find ultimate meaning in finite things that we can craft and hold in our hands. We are fixing our eyes on what is seen and temporary. And what do we do? What do idols do to our lives? They steal our focus and our affection and our attention and our worship. And what's scary is this battle of idolatry is now on steroids because this is a house for idols. They can all be in one place now. Think about what are the things that we tend to worship and value more than God? Money? Well, now you can check the market constantly. You can stress over your finances constantly. You can always be looking for an angle to make a little bit more. Sex? We just talked about pornography last week. What else? Materialism? Even when you're not shopping, there's things on your feed about what you talked about last night, trying to tell you, come on, you need more stuff. You need to be like them. How about politics? Remember the Israelites, how badly they wanted a king that was a man? They wanted to put their hope, their faith, their trust in a, a man, an earthly king, and get really obsessed with their little kingdom? Does that sound familiar to anybody in this country? Is that on steroids now with these things? And I could keep going down the list, but the ultimate idol that human beings always struggle the most with is self, always. Like the story of Narcissus, not in the Bible, this is an old story, a fable, who was cursed by Nemesis to fall in love with the image he projected of himself. Cold, arrogant, and unable to give or receive love, he obsessed over the image of himself reflected in the waters around him until he followed the image down a well and drowned. And now we've got in the palms of our hands our images packaged with filters and augmenting technology to take selfies and obsess over ourselves and our image all day long. We've got our own PR firms and a false celebrity life through social media. And we cannot disconnect from it. Why? FOMO. Fear of missing out. I can't get behind. Somebody can't have more followers and likes than me. I can't miss out on what's going on today. And here's what's creepy. And I was reading about this in one of these books. You can trace FOMO, like the deep soul FOMO of being discontent with our existence all the way back to original sin. Adam and Eve FOMO'd. You could know something you don't. You could be like God. You could get to somewhere you're not and sacrifice the perfect present moment with God because of FOMO. 
And a lot of us are FOMOing our way into a life where we don't need God or think we don't. And I understand this has like gotten really dark here. We're talking about phones, right? Everyone's like, geez, man. But this idol of self, listen to the reason that the Pharisees didn't follow Jesus from John chapter 12. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, which describes our society and maybe you and me perfectly. Our phones are purposefully robbing our attention, addicting us to distraction, and we are quickly becoming passive observers of life, waiting for dopamine hits buzzing in our pockets. And I'm guilty of this, of saying, oh, I'm so busy, there's too much to do. I don't, when am I gonna pray? When am I gonna read the Bible, right? And then you look at your screen time report and you're like, oh, shoot. I guess I had time to scroll infinitely, right? First John chapter two says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And I fear that we are being discipled far more by a Silicon Valley algorithm than we are by Jesus Christ. I really do. Because this house of idols will take your heart, soul, mind, and strength from you if you'll let it. It can be a tool. It can be a tool for worship, but for most of us, it is a trap of distraction. Hebrews 12 tells us to cast off everything that entangles. How about everything that distracts? Blaise Pascal said the human appetite for distraction is high in every age. Because distractions give us an easy escape from the silence and solitude whereby we become acquainted with our finitude, our inescapable mortality, and the distance of God from all of our desires, hopes, and pleasures. So I would ask you, what problems is this relationship causing in your relationship with God? Idolatry of self, of other things, distraction, passivity, egoism, disconnection, seeking an easier life rather than a better one? Is this a tool for you to pursue a relationship with God or is it a trap of idolatry stealing your attention through distraction? Are your eyes fixed on what is seen far more than on what is unseen? Elevation Worship has this song asking, what would you do if he, Jesus, walked into the room? And I laugh when I hear that because I think none of us would notice because we'd be too busy on our phones, right? So what is this doing? What problems is this causing in your relationship with God? And the other question, what problems is this causing in your relationships with people? Are we too busy loving our phones to love our neighbors? Now, Balancing statements, these can be tools for connection. They can be. Really, they were intended that way. And these, we've seen this happen. These things have captured moments that the world needed to see. They have shared causes that needed to be talked about. They have raised money for things that needed money. There has been great connection made. Last year, 2020, we saw these as tools, Zoom and FaceTime. Man, if it wasn't for, out with, for those things, if we didn't have those, Last year would have been so much harder, right? Tools for connection, but for most of us, they are traps of isolation. The device may be neutral, but the social media apps are not. They really aren't. The algorithms in them prefer you alone. They like to get you alone because you'll spend more time on them, which means more money. Tristan Harris's major point is that we are in an attention economy where these companies are battling maliciously and ruthlessly for your attention. 
They'll do anything to get their hands on it, whether it's good for you or not. They don't care. There is a stream that you are flowing and you just may not know that it's flowing somewhere. And isolation just so happens to be where the enemy likes us best too, right? Pornography, a perfect example. Get them alone to their thoughts. Employ this nothing strategy. Distract them, isolate them. And it's starting to undo the beauty of human-to-human relationship that we are meant for. Because what's happening now is we kind of prefer the no-risk, no-mess commitment of real relationships, if we're honest, right? There's this weird paradox happening where we now retreat in public from connection, and then we connect in private on our phones. It's paradoxically, paradoxically supposed to be connecting us, but it's actually isolating us. And there's no wonder that these mental health issues are on the rise. There's a Dutch psychiatrist, J.H. Vandenberg, who said, if loneliness didn't exist, we could reasonably assume that psychiatric illnesses would not occur either. And in the rise of these things, it is clear that these are not helping when it comes to isolation. There's a a new thing I heard about last week called e-girls now, which is all about just developing your own identity completely online having no real need for human relationship anymore because your popularity and your worth and everybody paying attention to you, it's just through apps. And we won't know the effects of isolation fully for a while of the last year caused by the pandemic, but early studies have shown the percentage of people who considered suicide in the last year doubled from what it was before. In the past two decades, suicide rates have increased by figures I found around 30% in the United States. We are meant for human face-to-face messy relationships, to be present in the moment, not living within a profile. But we are now accessible by everyone and present with no one, right? Every time we go to lunch with somebody, we're constantly, oh, it's totally acceptable to be in a room full of people. Like that's life now. Constantly telling the people that we're with, there's something a little more important than you. Teenagers' relationships right now, this is what they look like, snap streaks. How many days in a row can we send each other a blurry picture of a ceiling? Seriously. No offense, guys. But this, this is what we are giving to them, to our younger generations. This is now what we're telling them. This is what a relationship needs. Just a little bit of connection on a phone. And we are liking the easy road, Right? We're liking just retreating and being able to just kind of connect through social media, which is why some of you in this room would be more likely to DM the person that catches your eye in this church than actually go talk to them in the lobby. Let's be real. That's real. Let's talk about romantic relationships for a second, okay? Again, these can be and have been tools for connection. I know couples who met on dating apps and dating websites and have thriving marriages today. It's awesome. It has connected them. It's been a wonderful thing, but in this hookup culture, for most people, these are traps for destruction. Let's just be real. I know the trap of destruction in the hookup culture. I was just a part of it before these things. Now it's just even crazier. And if you're honest, a lot of you, those people that you're swiping or in your DMs, those are not future spouses or people to connect with or get to know better. It's somebody to have sex with a couple times and then ghost. I'm not that old. I know what's going on. For most people, these dating apps are not tools for connection. They are traps for destruction. And so many people are missing out on beautiful, authentic, Jesus-centered relationships because you are settling. You are settling for this trap of destruction. 
And what's happening is that we're, we're not seeing each other as neighbors anymore. We're not seeing people as people anymore. Pornography is an easy example of that. It's just a 2D. It's, just, it's not a real person there who might be being trafficked. The, maybe the easiest example of how we tend to not see each other as humans anymore is texting and driving. You are more likely to kill somebody texting and driving than you are if you had a couple drinks before you get in that car. And we're all going 75 on 35, like, doot, 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 right? We're all doing that. We're forgetting that there are human beings in cars next to us, families around us. We've got to start seeing each other as humans again. When I got off social media personally, I'll tell you something cool that happened when it comes to you guys. I like you a lot more now. And hey, hey, listen, 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 listen. I liked you before. I really did. I really did. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I really like you guys. But I like you more now. Because all I know of you now is our human-to-human interactions in the lobby. I don't see you at your worst. I don't see you dividing and arguing. I don't see any of that anymore. I got so sad last year watching Christians, people representing the kingdom, representing Red Rocks Austin, destroying other people on social media over politics and social issues, just laying into people with no grace. Broke my heart. And the election was coming up, and I was like, I got to get out of here. Nowhere is the loss of seeing each other as humans more evident than social media when a political debate starts, right? There's this anonymous anger, this trolling of people, slandering one another. And listen to what James 4 says. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Simply put, don't do it. But we, thinking we're noble, if somebody does something wrong or we find something out about somebody or they disagree with us, man, we will slander them all day long on social media. Charles Spurgeon said, the easiest work in the world is to find fault. And we are experts at it. Matthew 18 talks about how if an issue arises between people, get together and have a real face-to-face conversation. And most of you, you would not say to somebody face-to-face what you say to them on social media. I don't think you would. Because you'd have to know their backstory. You'd have to know where they're broken. You'd have to know why they believe something different than you. And it's a lot easier to just cancel them and slander them on their way out the door, right? Proverbs 18.2, this has been the most convicting verse to me as I've studied this whole thing. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That's Solomon Wisest man who ever lived saying, you are a society of fools. Because that's all we do. And hear me, there are times where opinions need to be shared. And causes need to be championed. And and things need to be brought into the light. Absolutely. We just do a little of that. And mostly just airing opinions as if we know everything. And because we have this idea that everyone's listening to what we're saying, we just feel this freedom to tell everybody exactly what we think in this moment right now. And let let me tell you, this is only getting worse because the more followers you get the more influence you think you should have. And some of you need to hear that the number of followers that you have on social media is not a metric for how much wisdom you have. It's not. These could be tools for understanding, but these are traps of division. They really are, and we've seen it play out, and the algorithms are only furthering that. Here's what's happening. Your feed is unique to you, right? You are only getting fed the stuff that lines up with what you search and what you like and what you watch. 
And slowly, this polarization is happening because you're just getting fed a little more of what you believe and a little more of what you already believe. And you end up in an echo chamber where you're only hearing from people who think exactly like you, fed a little conspiracy to get a little further away from everybody else and a little further away from everybody else. And you end up in a camp that thinks we're the only few people that understand the world. Now let's go blast our opinions out at everybody else. This is purposefully happening on these apps for our attention, creating culture wars with conspiracy, leaving zero room for conversation, understanding, and just common decency. And there's a problem for you. If you're in this room, you're listening to this, there's a problem when it comes to you giving into a trap of slander, isolation, comparison, jealousy, division, canceling. The problem with that is Jesus. You, you are called to steward everything that's placed in your palm by Jesus. We don't get to cancel anybody because he didn't cancel us. We don't get to slander anybody because he didn't slander us. We're supposed to bring unity. We're supposed to bring peace, not division, not trolling, not slandering other people to always give the benefit of the doubt. To a lot of the time, just not say anything, to not voice and air our opinions, but to try to seek understanding, to forgive easily, to be ministers of reconciliation. The justice warriors, I'm, I'm one of you. A lot of times we undo the good work that we think we are doing because we quickly draw lines. And we may think we have the cause of Jesus, but we don't carry the tone of Jesus and nobody's listening. Even if somebody believes something so differently than you that you would call them your enemy, what does Jesus say to do when it comes to our enemies? To love them. We're supposed to see humans as humans. We're supposed to be a picture of relationship to the world, of health, of out honoring one another, knowing how to disagree because we're willing to grow together. We are called to love our neighbors next to us, literally, and on the screens all around us. And I fear that far more than tools for worship, these are traps of distraction. Far, far more than tools for connection, they are traps of isolation and division for most of us. So good luck, let's pray. I've got a list of practical things as you consider these questions. And some of them are very granular and you could do them today. Some of them are bigger picture. But I think we know this. Like, I don't think there's anybody in here likely that would say like, yeah, no, this is all good for me. I have a really healthy relationship with this. If that's you, God bless you. Teach us. But I think for most of us, we kind of know, like, this isn't great. But we're kind of just accepting that. And so I'm challenging you with some practical tips for you. Okay, this, how about this? First, read these books. Let's start with this one. But well, let's read these too. Read other books. And you have to read the actual physical book that has pages because studies show you retain more when you read an actual book than something on a screen, okay? Here's a good one. Wake up before your phone. Spurgeon said, permit not your minds to be easily distracted or you will often have your devotion destroyed. And I do this, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna work out, spend some time with my family and then I'll plug in. But I wake up, I look at my phone and there's a notification and I'm working or I'm wasting time or checking my brackets or whatever I'm doing, right? I grab my phone right away, start wasting my day. Never have that time. 
in the morning. Wake up before your phone, which means put your phone outside of your bedroom and get an alarm clock. Put your phone to bed before you go to bed. Ryan told us this like a couple years ago and none of us listened, sorry, man. I don't have time to explain the science of how badly these things are affecting our sleep as we scroll late into the night. And sleep is one of the top things to strengthen your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are wasting it away. Put your phone to bed outside of your room, set your alarm clock, wake up before your phone and have some time before you open that thing up and make time for solitude with Jesus. I know that's like solitary confinement, right? For most of us being alone to our thoughts. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And I don't think most people know he's God because nobody's still. And our minds certainly are not. You know, it takes seven minutes of uninterrupted conversation to start having a real conversation. Seven minutes. How many days do I give God seven minutes to get into a real conversation? Not very many, if I'm honest. This is one of my favorites. And somebody's gonna do this and it's gonna change your life. Turn your phone off for one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. I dare you. Some of you just shuddered at the thought of that. One hour. So what I've started to do, because I wanna practice what I preach, I wanna grow in this, is when I get home from work, I put my phone in my bedroom, and until Zeke, my son, goes to bed, I don't pick that thing up. And that has become even more the best part of my day, being fully present with my family. For you, maybe it's the first hour of the day, maybe it's the last hour of the day. Our staff, sometimes we, when we go to lunch together, we leave our phones in the car and those are always the best lunches because we laugh and tell stories. And we have an hour to not worry about who's trolling our church this week. What would an hour do for you a day? What if you built towards one day a week and one week a year? This was recommended in these books. So this isn't self-serving when I say this, go to church. Check that, you guys did that, you're killing it. Because we need to be together, we need to lift our eyes, we need to be humbled, we need to worship. Minimalize your phone, Marie Kondo that thing. Like go through it, delete all apps that are not tools for you. Ask, is this a tool or a trap? And be honest with yourself. And if you're having a hard time, ask your friend. Delete all expired non-essential time-wasting apps. Turn off all non-essential push notifications. Schedule time to check those notifications rather than being at the constant beckon of every single one of them. My wife did this one. Stop apologizing for responding later to people. Everybody thinks that they have access to your attention whenever they want it because we have 10 ways they can get it and we give it back to them. So don't be present with the people that you're with and respond later. Use time in the car as conversation time when you're with other people and for the love of your neighbor, stop using your phone while you're driving. Turn your phone off before lunch, dinner, coffee, happy hour, church, weddings, parties, and just be present in the experiences of life. I promise you, you will love experiencing moments instead of recording them. We have camera ops, right? Four of them in here right now recording this service. Here's one. Okay, we tell them if you serve in the morning, please come back to the Rowdy Six and just be in the service without the camera, right? Because you can't really focus on the message and the worship because you're distracted by the camera. Most of us are camera ops through our whole lives. That's how we live, right? Turn them off and experience moments instead of just recording them. Families, 
no phones or TV at, at the dinner table. Come around the table and spend undistracted time together. Back in the day, the center of the home was the hearth, which was the fire. That's where you'd cook, you needed it for warmth, you'd sit around and tell stories. And that changed because with technology came furnaces and we don't need fires in our homes anymore, right? Well, the, the word for hearth, the Latin word is focus. It was the focus of the home. And now the focus of our homes, the hearth are our screens. Get back to the table. Make that the center of your time together. Jesus did that with his friends. He emphasized that. And make house rules about your phones. Every year with a couple of our friends, we have friends giving. And there was uh, one of the first times we did it, I put a basket out with a little note on it that said, leave your phones here. And the next year, our friends texted and said, you're putting that basket back out, right? Because we loved it. Because we just enjoyed the night together and we weren't all just off somewhere else the whole time. And addicts need to do this. Ask the people around you if your phone use is affecting them. My wife has told me plenty of times, I don't feel like you're really here with me right now. You're so distracted. And there's some of my friends that I would tell, hey, when I'm with you, I just don't really feel like it's worth your time because you're not really with me. And I have friends that would say that to me. When you get those screen reports, maybe have somebody hold you accountable instead of just cringing at them and changing nothing in your life. Set limits for yourself and then have somebody who's helping you. And this might be an obvious one, and some of you are hoping, I don't just say the words, but some of you just need to get off social media and maybe never come back. For the health of your relationships. We have a website, don't worry, I know Red Rocks Austin is the most important account to you. Another example of how this can be a tool, we get to tell the story of our church through this, but, but most of it is noise, right? And if that's the case for you, then delete it. You don't need it. I promise you, you don't need it. Some of you might just need to get a flip phone. I'll, I'll go to the store with you if you're willing to do it, just to celebrate. And I won't bring my phone and record it. We'll just enjoy the moment. And I'll just finish with this right here. Find your identity without this dysfunctional relationship. And that's a question on those notes. What problems is this causing in my relationship with myself? A lot of us aren't really able to love our neighbors because we don't love ourselves. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't love yourself, it's really hard to love your neighbor, right? And what I see, like we do all these bizarre things, right? We're posting a sports bra or a shirtless pic with the Bible verse caption, right? And it's easy to laugh at and make fun of that. But behind that, what I see is desperation of human beings just saying, somebody see me, somebody validate me. I'll take whatever I can get. And you are worth so much more than selling yourself on social media to something seen that will never fill you because it's temporary. A lot of people are just yelling opinions and airing them out and screaming at each other. I think not because they're just awful people, but because they're saying, nobody's listening to me, nobody hears me. Nothing I say goes anywhere. All the while the creator of the universe is waiting, saying, I will listen to every word you would say to me. And I have so many things to say back to you. If you would only stop and listen and find your identity in Jesus. But we're selling false visions, versions of ourselves because we don't believe we're enough. We're insecure about the grace of Jesus. So we go looking everywhere else. For some of you, you might be just filling the silence because you are afraid of what God might say to you if you got quiet and got seven minutes into a conversation and listened to what he had to say and you're gonna be pleasantly surprised when he tells you that he loves you just as you are. 
when he tells you that he died for you, that he walked out of a tomb to give you eternal life, free of needing distraction, free of isolation, built for relationship, to find your identity in him and him alone. And if we were content in Jesus, I don't think we would troll each other anymore. I don't think we would divide. I don't think we would slander. I think we would build and unify. And my friends, my family, this has to be our future as the church. We have to unite. We have to bring together. We have to play this game differently than everybody else. We are called to, to steward these things. Use only the, this thing as a tool. Do not let it become a trap because the younger generations, they desperately need us to show them what a healthy relationship with God and people looks like. This battle of idolatry is on steroids for us, right? That means we've got to fight it together and take this seriously and make some changes. And as I look around in our society and in this room, I just see weariness in people's eyes. It's like, I'm so tired, literally, because you don't put your phone to bed, but bloodshot, broken down from this high maintenance, demanding, attention-starved boyfriend or girlfriend known as your phone. This is feeding you way more than any human being is supposed to carry on their shoulders. We know way too much of the brutality of this world. We have too much access to carry these things. And Jesus says, are you weary? Come to me and I will give you rest. Bring this relationship to me and I will give you rest. And if you're like, I just, I have no faith that I can do anything about this addiction. This is the air we're breathing. Psalm 20 verse seven says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, technology of the day, but our trust, we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. That is where our trust is. Jesus fights our battles, not chariots, not iPhones. Jesus fights our battles with us and for us. And he is calling us to authentic, messy relationship with him and with each other. So right now we're gonna do the best thing on the list of practical tools and that's to worship. So if you'd stand to your feet, Keep your phone off, please. If you see somebody pull their phone out, just hit it out of their hands and they'll be like, my kids and kids rock. And you'll be like, this is uncomfortable. Spend a few moments listening to what God might say to you right now. I believe that he is going to spark vision for life again. I believe that he is going to speak identity in this room that is not found on an app or a phone. It is only found in the eternal love and grace of Jesus. So Jesus, I ask that you would speak that right now. Give us identity, give us purpose, give us motivation, God. Restore us to put relationships back in the right order. Help us to take steps in the dysfunction of our relationship with our phones to have healthy relationships with you and with each other and of ourselves. I pray right now that people in this room would feel grace, wrap them up, love, wrap them up, that whatever they've been running from, whatever they've been escaping, God, feeling like if somebody actually knew me, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. Jesus, you said otherwise on the cross. And so I pray right now that you would speak identity in this place as we worship in Jesus' name, amen.